Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and we have a big show for you this week, a huge show for you this week. At the start of the show, we are going to have a little bit of news, um, actually a little bit more than a little bit of news. We're going to have a quite a, we're going to have a normal amount of news, and then we're going to jump into Tesla's Q2 2022 earnings call. I do need to let you know that I'm recording this segment on Tuesday, July 19th. So all of the news up to the point that I'm recording this on Tuesday, July 19th, we are going to cover. I'm pretty sure when Tesla releases its earnings call tomorrow, the rest of the week will be pretty much dominated in Tesla news. So that episode will be out. I'm hoping to be able to edit it and record that segment Wednesday or Thursday and put it out on Friday. But it might be that I have to record it and edit it on Friday and get it out on Friday night, which is Saturday. Also, real quick, last week I mentioned that I'm working on a new music podcast with my friend Chris. If you would like to um, get a test episode, I guess, uh, and give us your feedback, you can email me. It's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. All right, let's jump into the news here. Uh, Sandy Monroe was given a tour of Idra's 9,000-ton gigapress. This is the monster that is going to uh, you know, produce parts for the Cybertruck. So I put the video up on the Patreon site. It's patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or supportkilowatt.com. You can go there. You can view the video for free. You don't have to be a member or a following the kilowatt podcast or anything like that. But while you're there, if you're interested in supporting for $1 a month, uh, go ahead and sign up. That would be appreciated. Um, I don't ask for any more than a dollar. As a matter of fact, I've told people who are contributing more than a dollar, Hey, please drop your contribution down to a dollar. Cause that's all I'm asking for. I appreciate if you do contribute more, but all I'm asking is for is a dollar a month and you get an ad free experience. So it's a pretty good deal. Moving on, Chase Bank has launched an EV section to their Chase Auto website with the goal of educating their customers on EVs. And when the time comes to buy an EV, you call on Chase for financing. Uh, honestly, this is a this is really good information. I can 
I can sit here and make fun of Chase's motivations, but I went there and it answers a lot of really good questions. This is a place where I would send somebody if they didn't want to listen to me talk to them. I'd be like, you know what? Chase has a really good uh, section on their Chase Auto website about EVs. Go there and and look at uh, look it up. It has to do with like efficiencies of EVs, charging. You know what's important when looking for an EV. All of this stuff is great. So uh, kudos to you, Chase. And sorry for thinking that your ulterior motives were evil because I did initially. I thought, well, this is just going to be garbage, but actually, it was pretty good. Polestar has announced the Polestar 3, and we have some details, albeit not a lot of details. It's going to be an SUV built on the SPA2, which is the Scalable Product Architecture Platform. The Polestar 3 will have a max range of 372 miles or 600 kilometers. It'll support dual motors. Um, The Polestar 3 will be built at the same factory as the Volvo XC90 because Polestar and Volvo are owned by the same company. Geely, I think is the name. And this will be built in Ridgeville, South Carolina. Starting price will be around 77,000 US dollars or 75,000 euros. Um, and it'll go up to about 112, 114,000 US dollars or 110,000 euros. Polestar will do a full reveal in October of 2022 and deliveries will begin in the middle of 2023. I just was, (laughs) I really wish these companies would just do a reveal. I don't like how they tease out this information because we almost have all of the details before the actual reveal. Just do the reveal and we don't need the, the, we don't need you teeing up this product to, to drum up excitement. Just really, I know marketing people, you have a job to do, but for God's sakes, just give me all of the information. So it isn't drawn out over months. It's, it's maddening. Moving on. Canoe will supply at least one electric vehicle to the U S military This has to be one of the smallest contracts ever with the United States military. Like the United States military probably spends more on M&Ms a year than they will spend on this contract to build for a canoe to build them at least one EV. Um, But I'd like to see what they come up with. It sounds interesting. Chevy just revealed the 2024 Chevy Blazer EV. It's called the Blazer EV because Chevy still builds an ICE version of the Blazer. So if and when the ICE Blazer, uh, it's ever phased out, which you assume that it would be, then the EV Blazer will just be called the Blazer. But as as we have it now, we have the Blazer, which is an ICE vehicle, and we have the Blazer EV, which is an electric vehicle. Let's talk about the Blazer, though. The Blazer is built on the Ultium platform. It has an 11-inch instrument cluster. So for newer cars, um, it shows more than just like speed and RPMs, right? The instrument cluster gives you a wealth of information about how your electric vehicle is doing. In most cars, you can customize this information. So 11-inch instrument cluster, it's a good-sized instrument cluster, and it's going to give you a lot of good data. And then it has a 17.7-inch infotainment display, which is almost like a rectangle the car will feature Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, Super Cruise, and autonomous driving features will be available in most models. As far as safety features, we have a few to note here. 
automatic emergency braking, front pedestrian braking, as long as the speed is below 50 miles per hour and it's daylight. Now, it could work in twilight or nighttime uh, situations, but I wouldn't count on it. So we're looking at, you know, daytime speeds below 50 miles per hour. Let's see here. They also have lane keep assist with lane departure warning, pretty standard, forward collision alert, following distance indicator, which I think that's nice. Sometimes you just kind of phase out and maybe you're following a little bit too close. And then auto high beams. The Initially, we're going to have four slash five trims for this vehicle, and you'll find out why it's four slash five. You'll have the one LT, which will be front wheel drive with an estimated range from GM. So we don't have any official numbers on this at 247 miles and a price of $44,995 and a delivery time of winter of 2024. That's actually quite good. I think that's very well priced for that vehicle. I, I wish it would be about $39,000, but you know what? I think GM came at, uh, came in at a good number here. Then we have the 2LT, which is front-wheel drive, an estimated range. Again, GM's estimated range, 293 miles, with a price of $47,595. Why in the world you would buy the uh, the 1LT at all is beyond me. I know that companies will put out a, a, a model of something or a product that is like bare bones stripped out, and then there'll be a much better product at a slightly higher price. And it's just, a, I don't know if it's to make you feel like you got a better deal when you bought the, you know, the, the next product up from the lowest one, but uh, that's where we're at. So 293 miles, $47,995. This is really good. Really, really good. We're going to see the 2LT summer of 2023. And then you have the RS. So now we're getting up in the packages the RS will come in an optional front-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, or rear-wheel drive configuration. It'll have an estimated range from GM of 320 miles, price $51,995, available summer 2023. This car is looking more and more compelling, and it is priced right. And then we have the SS, which is the performance model. The Blazer SS will have performance all-wheel drive, whatever that means, a GM estimated range of 290 miles, priced out at $65,995, fall of 2023. Um, that one's going to be really nice. Out of my price range, uh, if I was to choose between these, honestly, I, I'm in between the 2LT and the RS, uh, just because the RS might have some features, extra features that I'd want, but I'd have to look at the full packages that are offered to really tell you but this is really fairly priced now i mentioned there was four slash five versions of this vehicle the fifth version is a police cruiser i'm not gonna give you any really details on that because i couldn't find them um plus you know we don't really talk about police cruisers all that much on this podcast that's not what it's about so but you know they're gonna sell a police cruiser which i think is also very cool more and more i see uh, police vehicles that are SUVs. So might as well get them into an electric vehicle. That's great. I am thrilled that Chevy has an EV version of the Blazer. My wife and I owned a Blazer when we were in our 20s, and we really loved this car. My dad owned a Blazer, and he loved it. I'm not so much a fan of how this car looks on the inside or the out. 
but the car may present differently in person than it does and you know based on the pictures that i found online but overall this is a really good offering from chevy so good job to chevy and the team that you know put all the time in to build this vehicle to design and build it pretty cool stuff all right let's talk about hyundai hyundai i've been that's so dumb. I've been going back and forth between calling it Hyundai or Hyundai. I know that Hyundai of America calls it Hyundai. I know that, you know, the proper pronunciation, proper pronunciation, which I can't even speak English. I don't know why I'd be able to pronounce a Korean word is Hyundai or something close to that. And I'm just going to call it Hyundai. Hyundai. <laughs> I'm going to call it Hyundai. Uh, Oh, man. It's been a long day. I'm going to call it not Hyundai. Wait. <laughs> I'm leaving this in. Now I'm confused. Um, Hyundai. That's closer. I was combining Honda and Hyundai and then also on top of that trying to add the emphasis to the Hyundai. It's not going well. None of this is going well, but I'm going to leave it in because it shows you an inside look at how much I struggle doing this show. Anyway, Hyundai is planning on building a dedicated EV factory in South Korea. Why is this significant? Because Hyundai is the biggest auto manufacturer, if not the biggest company in South Korea. Well, this is significant because this will be the first new automotive factory in Korea in nearly 30 years. The last time an auto factory was built in Korea was 1996. That is insane. That is insane. And speaking of insane, a few weeks ago, we talked about Hyundai and their, they were going to release some new in-series vehicles. Well, the in-series is the company's performance line. Thank you, Tommaso, for that, uh, for giving me that tip. So we're going to talk about two of the in-series vehicles today. One's concept, one's coming out sometime next year. First, we're going to talk about the RN22E, which is based on the Ionic 6. This is a very pretty car. It looks like a souped-up Ionic 6. Um, it's going to be the first in-model based on Hyundai's eGMP platform. It'll be track-optimized for those who like going to the track. It'll have a 77.4-kilowatt-hour battery, a max speed of 155 miles an hour around that. It'll charge from 10 to 80% in 18 minutes. I wrote 80, but that is wrong. <laughs> and it'll arrive, like I said, sometime next year. Next, we have the Vision 74 concept, which is an EV hydrogen hybrid. This looks a lot like a DeLorean. When I say it looks a lot like DeLorean, this is kind of what I imagine what happened. The, the designer for this vehicle was in 1979, right? They, they are living in 1979. And for whatever reason, they went through a wormhole and they briefly traveled to 2022 for just like 30 seconds. They got a brief look of what future cars look like. And then they got sucked back into the wormhole because they don't belong in 2022, not until later anyway. And they were sent back to 1979. And this particular designer, he kind of had, you know, that that quick glimpse of what a 2022 car looks like, but he also had a really bad memory and he wasn't quite able to uh, articulate what he saw in his design. And then 
he designed the Vision 74 based on his poor recollection of what a car in 2022 looked like with late 70s design sensibilities. This car <laughs> looks so bizarre. And Hyundai is like, we know it looks bizarre. This was supposed to be our first sports car, which, you know, look it up. Um, but it never came to fruition. And they're like, well, here's the, here, here's the time. We're going to do it now. We're going to make a hydrogen electric hybrid and we're going to make this very ugly car, but almost cool looking car. And then, uh, we're going to put it out. And honestly, I commend them from the, for this because they're not going to sell very many and they shouldn't because the car has got, got awful. It's ugly, but they're doing it. They're taking something that the company wanted to do. A long time ago, you know, 40-ish years ago, and they're saying, you know what, let's make this now and let's not, you know, update it too much. Let's make it look like it was going to originally. And they came pretty close. This is going to be a four-door sedan. It'll have a 62.4 kilowatt-hour battery. It'll refuel in five minutes because the electric motors uh, use the the electricity that comes from the hydrogen that's burnt. It'll have a mile, uh, 373 mile range and a max speed of around 155 miles per hour. And then Hyundai also announced that they're going to bring a small EV to the European market. We don't have a lot of details on that, but you know, they announced it. All right, let's get to the more juicy Hyundai news. Hyundai officially revealed the Ionic 6 last week. Hyundai is claiming that the Ionic 6 will be one of the most efficient EVs on the road with a drag coefficient of, I think it was 0.21, which is pretty good. I don't know what the Lucid Motors is. You know what? Let me look that up. Because the Lucid Motors has a pretty good drag coefficient too. Lucid Air. This is good podcasting. So the Lucid Air has a drag coefficient of 0.21 as well. So... Good for it. Good on you, Hyundai, for that. Uh, just in case you're curious, the Formula One Lucid Motors vehicle has a drag coefficient of 0.20. So we're talking world-class drag coefficient here for the Hyundai Ionic 6. Hyundai claims that the Ionic 6 will consume 14 kilowatts for every 100 kilometers traveled. Or if you convert that to the U.S., we're looking at 22.5 kilowatts for every 100 miles traveled. So that's pretty good. The interior space of this vehicle is lovely, and it looks very roomy. Hyundai said it used a cocoon design to make the vehicle feel more homey. Um, it has some design vibes that kind of match up with the Ionic 5 and the Kia EV6. It has dual color ambient lighting and you can choose from 64 colors. It has some places for you to charge your cell phone with wireless charging, a couple of USB-C ports, a couple of USB-A ports spread around the car. There's a lot of emphasis on working, um, like actual working, like on your laptop and stuff from your car, like a mobile office. I know some people after this was announced were like skeptical of using your car as an office. 
But I'm going to be honest, my kids, they're a little bit older now, so I don't have to worry about it as much. But when they were younger, I spent a lot of time in driveline. And if you're not from the United States, driveline is where you go to pick up your kids from school if they can't ride the bus because there's no bus offered for you know where you happen to live. So for me, the driveline experience was actual hell. Like if I ever did something bad enough to go to hell, and I'm not ruling it out, but if I ever did something bad enough to go to hell, I would just be stuck in driveline and then trying to get out of driveline without getting into a fight with the other parents or getting irritated at the teachers that are telling you to hurry up while there are you know, children crossing the road and they're like waving you on as if there isn't a children, child in front of you. Anyway, it's a very frustrating experience. Don't ever do it. I don't do it anymore. My point is, uh, for me, it paid to get to driveline an hour early before an hour before school got out. And that way I could sit and I could, you know, there might be some stuff I needed to do from for work. Maybe I needed to create some training or whatever. I could sit there and I could do that. And it was fairly quiet and it worked okay. I used to write show notes for this show while sitting in driveline um, and do research for this show. So um, I could definitely see this being my portable office when picking up the kids again. That part of my life, I don't know if it's over, but it's in my past for now. I don't really have to do that. But there are other people who might be road warriors that would find this very helpful to be able to work in their car when they're charging or whatever. So and they showed in the video that announced the Ionic 6, they talked about this lady who was doing a, she makes trash uh, into fashion, which I think is cool and art and, and jewelry and stuff like that. And then she was going to do to raise awareness. She was going to do a virtual trash art show. And so it tells her life about going and finding these things and creating it into art. And then it shows this other guy who's creating, he creates digital spaces and he's creating digital space for this trash art show. And then it showed an influencer and she's going to um <laughs> she's going to like promote this show right this is all very um scripted this isn't real but it showed how each of these people could use the vehicle so they're clearly marketing this to a digital creator type and not so much to my grandma who one of my grandmas is still alive and she lives in Texas and she lives on a ranch and she still runs it. So she does CrossFit at 88 years old, but they're not marketing it to my grandma. They are marketing it to the younger generation, um, the digital generation. But my point is after uh, the, the fashion art lady, after she gets done with a long day of traveling along around town and doing all these things that she needs to get done for her virtual fashion show. I don't know why she's out. She could do that from home. It's a virtual fashion show. But anyway, while she's getting her, getting all this stuff ready, um, she pulls into her garage and then she turns down the lights in the car and she leans back the seat and she like meditates or takes a nap and the, the lights change and are more relaxing and she's drinking her tea as like I, I would just rather go inside and relax and not relax in my car anyway i suggest you watch the video i i have a link to an article that has the video in the show notes <laughs> it's it's good it's good um 
But again, they're not marketing it to my grandma. I'm interested in it, but not marketing it to my grandma. As far as the exterior of this car, it looks like a strung bow to me. So um, some people don't like the look. I think it looks very sleek and sporty. Most people don't like the back of the car. The front of the car they think is fine. The back they think is kind of blocky because the whole car is nice and sleek. And then the back, uh, it, it is a little blocky. You can choose between a 53 or 77.4 kilowatt hour battery pack, which is the same as the Ionic 5. You can choose between rear wheel drive or dual all wheel drive. It'll have a top range of 379 miles over the air updates, CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, no further information in terms of pricing, but Ionic 6 looks good. Uh, if it had a frunk, like, I want a frunk. I don't want a car without a frunk. If it had a frunk, and I don't know if it does or not because it couldn't you know, find any information on that, uh, I would be very tempted to buy this over an Ionic 5 if I was to go that route. All right, that's it for our EV news. Let's go ahead and jump in to our Tesla news. Tesla rolled out a new self-diagnostic feature in its app. So if you're... Having a problem with your car, you can run this self-diagnostic test. Of course, it's in the Tesla app. If there's an issue found, you can schedule an appointment with the Tesla service center. And I love this. I've been dealing with some issues with my wife's car. I actually went and picked it up today. It cost close to $2,000 to get fixed, which was not a happy, it was not, that was very stressful uh, to pay that. But anyway, um, I had to deal with the mechanic shop and they were very nice people but I would just rather set the appointment on the app, view the estimates, you know, and then discuss the options and the solution in person if necessary. But everything else is done through the app. And I just get an alert when my car is done and what they did. And I have the receipt and I can pay on my phone. I don't have to go in there to pay. And I can just pick up my car and leave. I really want that solution. So I'm all for this. I know some people like that personal touch, especially when it comes to auto repairs. Me, let's interact as little as possible because I don't want to look you in the eye when I pay you close to $2,000 for something. We have rumors on Tesla's V4 supercharger. It looks like it's going to be a new design. It's going to be taller. It's going to be slimmer. It's going to be more streamlined. And I don't know that a charger needs to be these things. Um, they just need to provide electricity at a high rate of speed. But, you know, whatever. Um, according to some sources, this may look like a mega charger, just smaller. And the mega charger is what's used to charge the Tesla semis. It'll have dual cables, allegedly a CCS connector on one cable and a Tesla connector on the other. So that's pretty cool. And I'm all for Tesla opening up the, the Tesla network. At first, I was not. Uh, but now... It doesn't look like anybody else is going to start building these things out on any on any reliable uh, at at any reliable pace, I should say. So, might as well let's just do it. let's just give all the money to Tesla for this because um, they're the only company that's doing it and actually you know doing it mostly right. I do know, and this is kind of a side jag here. I didn't put this in the show notes, but uh, GM EVgo and Pilot and Flying J, which are owned by the same company, they are teaming up to put Tesla chargers, or excuse me, uh, level three chargers, fast DC chargers, 
at locations across the United States. I think this is genius because these truck stops are along major thoroughfares. They don't put a flying J in the middle of nowhere. As a general rule, they usually put them where people need to get fuel. So I love this idea. Flying J's are uh, everyone that I've ever been to, or every pilot that I've ever been to is there are these huge or loves there's these huge open spaces because they generally support like semi trucks and things like that so there's a lot of space to put these chargers so they can put quite a few of them there and still not really bother anybody that's you know just trying to get a, a bag of chips and a soda and be on their way so yeah that's pretty cool kind of a side note there next story that <laughs> The Fremont factory has produced its two millionth EV. Now, this is only true if you started counting the day Fremont started using battery cells from Giga Nevada. So all the cars that were produced in conjunction with Fremont and Giga Nevada, they've produced two million of those vehicles, which is a weird thing to celebrate. But congratulations. Speaking of celebrating, if you live in Australia, you have um, a small reason to celebrate. Tesla says it may double the Teslas in Australia to over 50,000 by the end of the year. That is insane that there's only 25,000 or that there was only 25,000 Teslas in Australia in 2022, at the beginning of 2022, I would have thought there would be at least a hundred thousand, if not closer to two or 300,000. I had no idea there were so few Teslas in Australia. That's crazy. If you rank the countries that listen to this show, Australia is always third or fourth um, in terms of the most people that listen to the show. And it's typically third. There's only a couple of times that I catch it out of place in the, the fourth. It's usually like the United States, Canada, or United States, United Kingdom, and then Australia. And then sometimes, you know, between the four that I just mentioned, there's some jockeying. The United States is always the biggest. But anyway, yeah, crazy. Australia, if you're listening, I mean, Australian people, not the, the country Australia. If you're listening, tell me what you think of Tesla's in Australia. I'm, I'm, seems like you should like them if you listen to the show or the EVs in general. Moving on, Tesla has to reimburse a Model X owner who was concerned about safety issues when it comes to autopilot. So the Model X owner claimed that her autopilot was malfunctioning. A German court agreed, and now Tesla has to pay her nearly $113,000. Sounds like basically they're buying the car back. This wasn't just a customer complaining and the court agreeing with her. There was actual testing and analysis performed, and it was found that her car was unable to properly navigate obstacles, narrowing roads, construction zones. There was a lot of phantom braking uh, the current version of autopilot is really designed for highway driving. So I don't know how intensive this uh, test was. I don't know if all Teslas would have failed uh, the test that they went through. But um, yeah, the court, the court determined that the driver should not be responsible for turning on and off autopilot, depending on if they're using it on the highway or on surface streets because they said that activating and deactivating autopilot could distract the driver and Tesla needed to pay them back for the vehicle, which is insane. 
Um, again, I'd be curious as to if any other Tesla, if it went through this test, if it was, if it would pass, like, cause that's kind of like, you know, saying something. Here's our last story. Elon said on Twitter that if inflation calms down, Tesla can lower car prices. On the surface, that seems like good news. Um, in reality, some economists say that inflation is going to last for years. So, uh, good luck. Uh, you know, I'm not a financial guy, and I understand that Tesla's dealing Tesla and uh, other automotive companies are dealing with higher prices when it comes to parts and labor, and there's a supply chain problem. But according to Fred Lambert at Electric and others on Twitter, Tesla's gross margins have been increasing as well as the prices. So if Tesla's gross margins stayed flat, like they made the same percentage off of every car, then I would say, yeah, the inflation's probably the a big problem as to why the car's prices keep going up. But Tesla's margins keep rising, meaning they're making more money off of every car, despite the fact that they're raising prices. Uh, that leads to me to believe that maybe that's not entirely due to inflation. Now, I know that there's a lot of other things that are involved in that, like Tesla right now, because of Giga Berlin and Giga Texas are coming online. They are burning through money. Uh, Elon equated it as like throwing money into a furnace. So, you know, the company's got to stay afloat. It can't just go away. We don't want that to happen. Uh, but as with everything, when it comes to money and economics, uh, it's like, unless you're really versed in this stuff, which I am not, there's lots of places to hide things and there's lots of way to spin numbers and to make it look like it's one thing that it's, and then, you know, somebody else will spend it in the other way and you'll be like, Oh, that's not it at all. So we'll see. Hopefully the prices come down. Really. That's all I wanted to get out of this is I want the prices to come down. Botox cosmetic out of botulinum toxin a FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit Botox cosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox cosmetic by name to see for yourself and learn more. Visit Botox cosmetic.com. That's Botox cosmetic.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. 
and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. All right, everybody, that is it for news this week. Let's go ahead and jump into Tesla's Q2 2022 earnings call. everyone and welcome to Tesla's second quarter 2022 Q&A webcast. My name is Martin Vieca, VP of Investor Relations, and I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q2 results were announced at about 3 p.m. Central Time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events all results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. All right, it is time for Tesla's Q2 2022 earnings call. We're going to jump right in with Elon's opening remarks. So just as a, as a Q2 recap, uh, Q2 was a unique quarter for Tesla due to a prolonged shutdown of our Shanghai factory. But in spite of all these challenges, it was one of the strongest quarters in our history. Most importantly, in June, we achieved production records in both Fremont and Shanghai. And as a result, we have the potential uh, for a record-breaking second half of the year. Um, I do want to emphasize this is obviously subject to force majeure, things, things outside of our control. Uh, the past few years have, have been uh, quite a few force majeures. Um, and uh, it's, been, it's been kind of supply chain hell uh, for several years. Um, Credit to our awesome Tesla supply chain team for overcoming um, insanely difficult challenges, um, and uh, you know, huge thanks to uh, the, the Tesla Shanghai factory team who sacrificed a lot to uh, get the factory back up and running in June and achieve a record uh, output. So, uh, also uh, making good progress uh, with production ramp uh, with Berlin. We achieved an important milestone of a thousand cars a week in June. Um, and we're expecting uh, so our, our Giga Texas um, to, to exceed uh, the 1,000 vehicle per week milestone in hopefully in the next few months. Um, yeah, we're, we're, uh, to be clear, we're currently making the cars with the uh, 2170 uh, cells, um, and uh, uh, Drew Beckley will address uh, some of the 4680 questions uh, later in this call. Um, but uh, it, it is worth emphasizing that we have enough 2170 cells to, uh, to satisfy uh, oil vehicle production for the remainder of the year. So we're not dependent on 4680. Um, 4680 will be important next year, uh, but it is not important this year. 
Uh, that said, we have installed the second generation of manufacturing equipment for 4680 cells in Texas. And, um, and even at our established factories like Fremont and Shanghai, we continue to expand capacity. Uh, regarding autopilot, we have now deployed uh, FSD beta with city streets driving capability to over 100,000 owners. Um, they're, they're very happy with uh, the capabilities of the system and will continue to improve it uh, every week. We've now driven over 35 million miles with FSD beta. That's more autonomous miles than any company, company we're aware of. I think probably more than, it might be more than any all other companies combined. Um, so, and, and that mileage is growing exponentially. With regard to manufacturing and technology, about uh, five or six years ago, we said we wanted to become the, the, the best manufacturer in the world. Um, and that that is somewhat counterintuitively uh, to, to some people, uh, what will actually be, I think, our strongest competitive advantage. Um, we're, we're super pro manufacturing here at Tesla. And um, in general, we, we want to encourage uh, other companies to be super pro manufacturing. And um, in, in general, I think it, it is a, a very important thing to do. Um, we need to make stuff <laughs> uh, and make it efficiently. And that's manufacturing. So, um, so we've made a lot of advancements in manufacturing processes. Um, as we now show in the shareholder deck, uh, thanks to our uh, the large castings, we, we make the world's largest castings. Uh, we reduced body welding robot count by 70% per unit of capacity in uh, Austin and Berlin. Uh, so that's, um, you know, call it roughly uh, a body shop that is th roughly three times smaller than would, would normally be the case. Um, and I should say it's also lighter. Uh, cheaper and has uh, superior noise vibration and harshness. So it's, it, it's good on, on every level. Uh, but this journey is not over. We'll uh, bring a whole, uh, another level of uh, simplicity and uh, manufacturing improvements with Cybertruck uh, and future products that we're not quite ready to talk about now, but I think will be very exciting to unveil in the future. Um, our safety team also introduced a feature that tensions seatbelts if the vision system detects imminent collision, uh, which has never been done before. So um, you can imagine that if you have a seatbelt that uh, only tensions upon impact, uh, you have very little time to tension the seatbelt. Um, you, if you've got to be, the car has literally got to be crunching um, to trigger the seatbelt tensioner. But because we have vision, we can actually see that a collision is about to occur uh, with 100% probability before it actually happens. Um, and so we can tension the seatbelts um, and we can even adjust the, uh, the airbag deployment uh, because we, we can see, not just feel. Um, this is a, a fundamental safety advantage that Teslas uh, are now able to offer. And, and this is also an over-the-air update. So if this, this is something that will, um, that will, will be in place in, in all cars that have at least uh, AP3 hardware. Uh, in conclusion, uh, we exited Q2 with stronger, a stronger production rate than ever before. Um, our team continues to focus on Cybertruck production readiness um, and some future platform design. Uh, we are expecting to be, uh, still, still expecting to be in production with the Cybertruck in the middle of next year. And uh, we're very, very excited about that product. I think it might, it might actually be our best product ever. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, and FSD beta is on track to be released for all of North American customers before the end of this year. Um, and hopefully, it, if we get regulatory approval, we'll also be releasing it uh, hopefully in Europe and some other parts of the world. Uh, we're hosting our AI day in a few months. I think people will be amazed at what we're able to show off in, in AI day. So it, it basically, it, it, <clears throat> there's a, a tremendous amount to look forward to in the second half of this year. And I want to thank all of our employees and suppliers for their super hard work during these challenging times. Super appreciated. Thank you. Does anybody else think that when Elon was talking about AI Day, he started going down a road and everybody in the room was like, oh, shut up, shut up. Don't talk about that. We Save it. Shh. Because he wrapped that up really quick. Let's listen to that again. Uh, we're hosting our AI Day in a few months. I think people will be amazed at what we're able to show off in, in AI Day. So it, it basically, it, it, <clears throat> there's a, a tremendous amount to look forward to in the second half of this year. And I want to thank all of our employees and suppliers for their super hard work during these challenging times. Super appreciated. Thank you. I mean, he just like wrapped that up. <laughs> like, he, I feel like he was going down a road and they're like, nope, you're not going down that road. Um, Elon talked about Shanghai was shut down because of COVID lockdowns. We talked about that. Still, they had record output, which is great for the Shanghai team. They've had more supply chain issues that we're really not going to talk about here. Throughout the the call, the earnings call, they asked questions about supply chain issues. It's nothing that we haven't heard before, so I did not put it into this because I didn't think you guys needed to hear it again. It's hard to get things. There you go. Uh, Giga Texas Model Ys are being built with 2170 cells. So my question is, What's going on with the 4680 cells in 4680 production? Because this is, you know, this is kind of important for the Cybertruck. Well, it's important for a lot of reasons, but it's important for the Cybertruck because uh, if, you, there, if there are no 4680 cells or if there's limited constrained 4680 cells, it's going to take a while for them to start ramping up the Cybertruck production. And I'm curious if... The part of the reason or one of the main reasons why Cybertruck has been delayed is because of the issues they've had with the 4680 cells. And we'll hear later, it sounds like they're making progress on this, but it's still something that they're struggling with. Cybertruck production will begin mid-2023. I honestly thought that Tesla had said in the past that Cybertruck production would start at the end of 2022 and deliveries would begin at the end, at the beginning of 2023. So I went back to look to see if I could find an official statement from Tesla and I couldn't. All I could find uh, basically was hearsay articles. And uh, I know I've reported that, but you know, I don't, I couldn't find anywhere where Tesla said that this is the case. Next up, we have the FSD beta and autopilot. Right now, there are 100,000 FSD beta testers, which is pretty good. FSD beta users have driven more than 35 million miles with that feature activated. Elon talked about uh, the seatbelts tensing up or adding tension if the system detects that you're going to get into a crash, and this will be an over-the-air update. I think this is great. But one of the things that Elon had said was, you know, prior to this, the seatbelts would only tense up in the middle of a collision, which is not true. And I can't speak for Tesla cars and how they react, but I'm guessing it's not true in that case either. Because if you slam on the brakes, your, your seatbelts tense up. That's what they're designed to do. So um, 
I am glad that they are implementing this solution because one more thing to just kind of keep you safe is, is not a bad thing, but it's not true that the seatbelts, you know, they don't tense up before the accident. That's just not how it works. So, uh, let's see. Manufacturing and technology. Elon still thinks that manufacturing and technology is the cornerstone of their business. And I would agree with that. I do think it's interesting that the huge casting machines that they're using are removing 70% of the bodybuilding robots. And when he said bodybuilding, I just, I just thinking like robots doing bicep curls and stuff like that and working on their chest. But I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that thought that. Uh, they're continuing to simplify the process, which I think is good. Uh, FSD beta is on track to be released to all of North America by the end of the year, which includes Europe and Asia to follow. Later in the call, Elon says that he thinks that we're going to get full FSD, not beta, but full FSD later this year. If you think this is true, because I've been doing this podcast since 2016 and I've been hearing it since Hardware 2, um, email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com, because I do, I do not. I don't think this is true. All right. Now we're going to listen to Zach Kirkhorn, who's the CFO of Tesla. We're going to listen to his opening remarks. I want to start by congratulating the Tesla team on excellent execution during the second quarter. Although our production volume reduced sequentially due to COVID-related shutdowns in Shanghai, we made substantial progress in nearly every area of the business, and in particular, our global vehicle production rate as we exited the quarter. Our Fremont factory, supported by our Reno team, reached new production records. The Shanghai factory resumed full production, and our new factories in Austin and Berlin are progressing well through their initial ramps. Additionally, our energy business achieved record gross profit with the highest solar volumes in many years. I want to personally thank the entire Tesla team, as I know many of you are listening. You've embodied a remarkable and relentless pursuit of excellence in support of our mission. I also want to thank our suppliers for their support during another complicated quarter. On Gap Automotive gross margin, it declined sequentially to 27.9%. Temporary decline in Shanghai production volume meaningfully impacted margin, including idle capacity and factory restart costs, and also had implications on the mix of regional deliveries. Additionally, as discussed on previous calls, we are working through the ramp inefficiencies of our new factories which are progressing well, but have had an impact on margin as those factories come online. While we continue to see a benefit from higher pricing flowing through, which experienced some foreign exchange-related headwinds, our cost structure continues to experience cost increases from inflation, commodities, and logistics. The energy business progressed well in Q2, aided by alternate solar supply coming online and progress on unit economics. Our storage business remains com component constrained on both Powerwall and Megapack, which we hope will alleviate to some extent in the second half of the year. We are greatly appreciative of the patience and flexibility shown by our customers while we work through these challenges. Within operating expenses, Austin and Berlin-related startup costs have wound down as these factories have moved into production and their costs are now reflected in automotive COGS. Additionally, we converted a majority of our Bitcoin holdings to fiat for a realized gain, offset by impairment charges on the remainder of our holdings, netting a $106 million cost to the P&L included within restructuring and other. 
We also incurred restructuring charges related to targeted staffing reductions. Yeah, actually, it should be mentioned that um, the reason we uh, sold uh, a bunch of our Bitcoin holdings was that we were uncertain as to when the uh, COVID uh, lockdowns in China would alleviate. Uh, so it was important for us to maximize our cash position uh, given the uncertainty of the COVID lockdowns in, in China. Um, uh, we are certainly open to uh, increasing our Bitcoin coin holdings in future. Um, so this should not be taken as some uh, verdict on Bitcoin. Uh, it's just that uh, uh, we were concerned about overall liquidity for the company given COVID shutdowns in China. And we have not sold any of our Dogecoin. We still have it. We still have our Dogecoin. Um, uh, uh, despite these challenges, we were still able to achieve one of our strongest operating margins of 14.6%. Um, our free cash flows were impacted by working capital related to the Shanghai factory shutdown. However, we expect this will show as a benefit in Q3 as our working capital related cash flows restabilize. As we look ahead, and as Elon mentioned, we are positioned for a record breaking second half of the year. Uh, we are quite excited about this. A couple things to keep in mind as we progress. Austin and Berlin ramp inefficiencies will continue to weigh on our margins for the balance of the year. However, the impact should reduce as we increase ramp. Second, as we've mentioned before, we expect to continue to see recognized global pricing to increase uh, as our backlog flows through. However, macroeconomic related cost increases will also continue to be part of our story. And finally, despite losing more builds in Q3 than expected, we're still pushing to reach 50% growth this year. This target has become more difficult, but it remains possible with strong execution. And as Elon mentioned, uh, no more force majeure events for the balance yeah. of the year. A lot of force majeure in the last uh, several years. <laughs> That's for sure. I'm not going to name this episode force majeure because nobody would download it. But... <laughs> seems like they say it a lot. It seems like a new fun word that they're throwing around in meetings. So anyway, I keep this in for the investors. I really don't have a lot to say on the finance stuff because I'm just not educated in that. I am glad to see that the energy business is doing well. And, uh, you know, I care a little bit about what's going on with Bitcoin and Dogecoin. But it is interesting that, you know, they had to sell the Bitcoin. I don't know if they mentioned this here or later, but they had to sell the Bitcoin to kind of keep things afloat with the factories and things like that. And they haven't sold any Dogecoin. All right. Before we get to our next uh, clip, I have some things that I'm just going to go over that were talked about in the earnings call, but I didn't pull the clips. So how does Tesla stay ahead of Chinese auto manufacturers in terms of technology and design? Somebody asked a question to, you know, something close to that. Elon says that he has a lot of respect for the Chinese auto manufacturers and any auto manufacturer who counts them out just because they're a Chinese car company does so at their own peril. And I'm paraphrasing that for Elon. Uh, so somebody asked uh, if, you know, full self-driving was in danger because Andre Karpathy, you know, left and Elon basically said there's a team of 120 people in the software AI group and they're all extremely talented. So, and they're still doubling down on solving full self-driving this year, which is also another theme, lots of force majeure themes, uh, weekly production across all factories. Elon thinks that they can hit 40,000 vehicles a week, which is pretty good. I think that that's by the end of the year. 
this year alone, they've had a couple 30,000 cars a week um, this year. That's pretty cool. When you think about, you know, when Model 3 was ramping and they were up to like 1,500 cars a week and everybody was thrilled because, you know, they don't build Model S and Model Xs in quite the same uh, volume they do the Model 3s. So that was really the big um that was really the big goal was to get to 10,000 a week for model three. So now they're, you know, between 30 and 40,000, uh, we'll say between 20 and 40,000. So that's, that's pretty cool. <sighs> Tesla is going to increase the price of full self-driving again at the end of the year. Elon doesn't think that people fully understand the importance of full self-driving. And he also made this comment on, I guess, the value of full self-driving. And when I say value, I mean monetary value. It, it is basically currently ridiculously cheap, um, assuming FSD materializes, which it will. What if FSD doesn't materialize? <laughs> is it ridiculously cheap then? I mentioned this earlier, but in 2016, when they announced Hardware 2, Elon said, this is all you're going to ever need for full self-driving. And that was not the case. And then we got Hardware 3. And that's currently not the case with hardware three maybe it will be but at this point in time we're we're getting close to hardware four when the cybertruck comes out and i would assume that all the other vehicles will follow after the cybertruck um will we get full self-driving with the cybertruck i don't know but everybody who paid between five and twelve thousand dollars and probably at some point $15,000, we're approaching the price of another vehicle, a, a more, a much more affordable vehicle. But everybody who pays that, what happens if they don't get it? So if you have hardware three, you paid $12,000 for this feature. And then hardware four comes out and Tesla's like, we're still going to keep you updated. We're still going to give you features, but hardware three is not going to have full self-driving. You paid for a service that you're not getting and Tesla's not going to transfer that to your next car. They've already said that that's something they're not going to do. So let's pretend I'm going to pay $7,000 when the Cybertruck comes out, whenever that may be. I'll have a level four, or excuse me, I'll have hardware four. Will I get to the point uh, where the vehicle will be able to do level four or level five autonomous driving? I don't know. Maybe we might have to wait till hardware six or hardware seven before that happens. In either case, $12,000 is a lot of money and Tesla is selling you a feature or they're selling you an idea. They're selling you a dream about a feature that its current cars may or may not be equipped to do. And I'm on board with the Tesla vision. I don't want anybody to think I'm a hater. However, I don't like it when people get fleeced. All those people who bought full self-driving with a, a hardware two car are never going to see full self-driving with that vehicle. And that's really unfortunate. And there are people who sold their vehicle, or hardware two car, to buy a Model 3 when hardware three came out so that they could, or maybe to buy a Model Y so that they could have that. And they paid, repaid for full self-driving. And they may not see it in this current iteration of hardware. Um, that's really unfortunate. And I think this comment from Elon that it's ridiculously cheap is ridiculously tone deaf because $12,000 is a lot of money. You can buy new appliances for your house, refrigerator, dishwasher, stove, 
microwave, and maybe even a washer and dryer for $12,000, depending on what you're looking at in terms of uh, appliances. That's a, that's a lot for people. That is not a little bit of money. That is a, that is a significant, a significant amount of money. And I wouldn't be surprised because of this if we don't find, if we don't see lawsuits against Tesla suing them for selling a promise and not actually selling a feature. It's already happening. And we've talked about, I think we even had a story in this episode about uh, something similar to this. But it's happening other places in the world. It's only a matter of time before it gets here in the United States. Um, I mentioned that they were going to increase the price of full self-driving. That's going to be right around the time that full self-driving goes into wide release, which should be by the end of the year sometime. So everybody can have a full self-driving beta. Excuse me, I should have said full self-driving beta. Um, again, this is frustrating because... Tesla has not delivered on this promise. I, I really wish Elon would stop selling features that don't exist and just focus on the things that do currently exist and then price the product uh, accordingly. So uh, very frustrating. But let's go ahead and listen to our first question, which is super nerdy, and it's about unified vector space. So let's go ahead and dive into that. When will Tesla have a unified vector space for both static and moving object network? Will this be a, a V11 or later version? If the latter, can you explain what makes it a difficult problem in layman terms? Okay. Um, this, this, uh, this answer will be understood by 0.001% of, of the audience, I think. Um, most people don't know what a unified subfactor space would, would actually mean. It essentially would be um, if you uh, can take, uh, if, if instead of knitting together static and dynamic objects in C++, uh, if they can be knit together at the neural net level, then uh, you, you don't need to reconcile them within C++ heuristics. Uh, that is that, that is an architecturally better way uh to uh, that's like that that's the most that's the most desirable outcome um uh, it's it, i think it's probably it, it, it's probably not necessary to achieve full self-driving um but it would be uh, a slight improvement in the efficiency of the self-driving um and it's certainly something we want to get to um yeah there's the sort of uh Nirvana situation is you, you have uh, surround video uh, auto labeling of all static and dynamic objects, and you have then uh, surround video inference uh, uh, with uh, with spatial memory as well. Uh, and that's I mean I think we're almost certainly there before the end of the year. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure how many people would. Understand that, but uh, sounds good. Uh, I should say also we we we, we are also co uh, confident of um, improving the frame rate um, as we uh, as we delete some of the legacy neural nets. Uh, we uh, we think we we might be able to get to the frame rate uh, of of the of all eight cameras, maybe up to thirty six fps, which is actually a lot of frames considering it's eight cameras um it's certainly comfortably above uh 24 
frames, which is basically um, the movie frame rate of movies. So there's there's no doubt that this was nerdy. Uh, Elon said that only a small percentage of people are going to be able to understand this. I understood most of what he was saying. And I, I am a nerd, but I when I actually talk to other nerds who are real nerds, I'm not that nerdy. Like to my normal friends, I'm a nerd. To my nerdy friends, I'm a normal. Like like I I I understood this. So I left it in because I thought it was interesting. And number two, because I thought you would understand it too, because I give you credit where it doesn't seem like Elon does. Anyway, I don't know. I'm being snarky. Uh okay. Let's move on to our next clip, which is all about Tesla lowering the prices of their vehicles. When are they going to do it? How are they going to do it? You know, under what conditions are they going to do it? Elon recently tweeted about lowering prices once inflation cools down. Can you elaborate on what do you mean by cooling down and how aggressively the company will lower prices? More broadly, how do you think about the auto pricing long term? Yeah. So since we have there's there's a quite a long wait when somebody orders a car. Uh, in some cases, like six six months. In some cases, it could be up to a year. We have to anticipate what the probable inflation rate is over that period of time. Um, so uh, that's that's what we're trying to do. Um, at, at, when we see, at, you know, when any, or if we see indications that the inflation rate is declining, then uh, we would not need to increase our car prices. It's possible that there could be a slight decrease in, in, in car prices, but this is fundamentally de- dependent on you know, macroeconomic inflation. Uh, it's not something we control. Um, if, if I were to guess, and I wouldn't you know, t- take this with a grain of salt, I, th- I think inflation will decline towards the end of this year. Uh, we're certainly seeing uh, prices of commodities trending lower, uh, you know, but take with a grain of salt. This is making uh, e- economic prognostication uh, <laughs> is uh, fraught with error. Um, I don't know if you guys want to, if, if, you know, do you want to say anything about Yeah, we're certainly saying, I mean, it's kind of a whole spectrum. On the battery metal side, for example, the price of lithium has really shot up. Uh, we used to be $11 a kilogram to more than $80 a kilogram. Uh, but you know, it's not every situation is that bad, so it's kind of a spectrum. Yeah, like carbon steel, aluminum, after swift, we'll talk less the camera. Carbon steel and um, and aluminum has started trending down. We will see the benefits of it's only probably later part of this year or early next year. Yeah, but I think that's just like we're, we're, for for most commodities, we're seeing a downward trend towards the end of this year or or, or next year. Uh, some uh, commodities, the uh, Processing of lithium uh, is insane. Um, I'd like to once again uh, urge entrepreneurs to enter the lithium refining business. Um, the The mining is uh, relatively uh, e- easy. The the refining is much harder. So the li- lithium is actually a very common. Uh, it's very there's like lithium pretty much everywhere, but you have to refine the lithium into battery grade lithium carbonate and lithium hydroxide which has the extremely high purity. So it, the, it, it is basically like minting money right now. Uh, if, if there's, there's like software margins uh, in lithium processing right now. While I appreciate the business tip of going into lithium processing, I don't feel like Tesla fully answered this question. Um, 
we're going to see maybe a slight decrease in prices or maybe a stabilization in prices. Um, and that's what we have to look forward to. I, I'm not saying that this is, you know, the worst thing in the world because this is just a car company and you don't have to buy a Tesla. You can buy another more affordable car. Uh, I, I just don't think we're going to see the prices back down for the Model 3 and the Model Y anyway, back down into the 30 thousand dollar range for the model three and the you know mid to low 40s for the model y i don't think that's going to happen which is really unfortunate um yeah maybe they'll come out with a different car that will meet that price range but i just don't see those two cars dropping down in the same way that i don't see the Cybertruck coming in at forty thousand dollars that's just not going to happen our next clip is about 4680 cells and structural battery pack. This is a long answer, but I think it's I think it's a good answer. So let's listen in. Elon noted that 4680 plus structural pack is not yet optimized. Can you please share the general path of 4680 and structural packs in terms of cost efficiencies when compared to the traditional 2170 pack? Will cost improvements be mostly due to scale or do we need to solve some technical issues? Should I start off? Or do I start? Yeah, do you want to do the architecture? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, so, so structural pack where we get dual use of the battery uh, or the cells as structure um, and as as energy storage in the same way that an aircraft gets dual use of the wing as a fuel tank and as a wing um, is, I think, unequivocally, from a physics standpoint, the superior architecture. So it's the A architecture. Now, because it is new, uh, we will, you know, we'll start off getting, I don't know, aspirationally a C within an A architecture. Uh, but the potential is there for to get radically better and then unequivocally better uh, than a battery pack, which is carried like a sack of potatoes. Um, so yeah, and and, yeah. and we've gained the perspective through putting our first structural pack into production that that it is actually the A architecture. Yeah, like before we did that, it was a hypothesis that was backed with a, got a lot of modeling and first principles analysis, but now we've actually built it and are more confident in that assertion. Uh, yeah, so exactly. So the, the structural pack, um, e even the, the C and the A architecture is beating the uh, non-structural pack. Um, and so over time, it will, uh, with further refinement, um, be substantially superior to a car that is um, carrying a battery pack as though it is cargo. Um, and this, like I said, it's, it's very, very much uh, very analogous to the uh, early days of aviation, where where fuel tanks were initially carried like cargo, until they realized actually you should get dual use of the fuel tank as a wing and as as a fuel tank, and that makes the planes lighter and better. Um, and that's the same is true of of uh, electric vehicles. And on cost improvements, are they due to scale or uh, about solving technical issues? Both. Yeah, it's always both. Yeah, I mean, but really, the, the the two things that that improve cost are economies of scale and tech and and uh, and core and core technology. So yeah, I think technical issues may not the right. Not technical issues like technology like getting to the optimal design, right? Like you always start with some excess. Some people might call it fat, but that's not really what you think it is initially. It's that you don't know how lean you can get it until you've done it a couple times. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's some platonic ideal of the perfect product uh, where the atoms you have exactly the right atoms and they're in exactly the right position, and you asymptotically approach this platonic ideal, and um, but it takes a lot of effort over time to figure out actually what is what what is the platonic ideal and and then uh, to actually you know gradually approach that. Yeah, I mean, you might need to create a new alloy. Then you need to figure out how to cast it. Then yeah. then you need to ramp the casting machine of the new alloy. As we, an example, we, we did. As, as an example. <laughs> yeah. We've done it for rotors. Yeah. We've done it for the casting. So like, yeah, but but does it take time? Constant improvement is something we're used to here, and it's something like we've done with our vehicles and our designs since the beginning. I mean, even you know, you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, like the first version of the front casting that we made that went into the early vehicles is like model I mean model s days no no i'm talking about like our first model wise oh yeah we've since we've ordered more dyes because we need more dyes for more production we've saved like four or five kilos of mass mm-hmm. just in dye iteration and and that's something we do at tesla like quite regularly um and we'll continue to do so like we're not happy with a c like maybe we're at a c plus now because yeah. <laughs> but like we got to keep going to get to a b minus uh <laughs> on the rear casting um, but this will transfer for improvement uh, with the uh, casting. Uh, so the, the casting is already way better than um, you know, the, the rear body casting is already way better than the um, than the way it's, it was was done in the past, where you've got you know 120 different parts that are uh, welded together or bonded together um, with different alloys, and, and then you have to put sealant in between all the, the, the various parts. Um, for water ingress and uh, noise, so uh, we're already way better than that with current casting. But there's uh, still a lot of opportunities to uh, reduce the mass of the casting and also extend the casting to include uh, more parts, um, as well as adapt the rest of the vehicle uh, for the fact that there's a casting. Um, yeah, I was going to say, th- say the same thing, right? Like. We're not just evaluating the pack in isolation either. Yeah. It's the pack plus the body, the integration. You know, do we have mass in the right places? Do we have the cost in the right places? And only just the right amount. Um, and and I think, you know, we've gone through one iteration loop. We're going we're doing another one with Cybertruck. I mean, we're taking the learnings and and, and doing you know the next version. Hopefully, is a B B plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. In the A architecture. So a couple of things. I really like Elon's airplane wing analogy. Like, it's not just an airplane wing, it's also a place to hold your fuel. And then comparing the battery pack to cargo versus something that's an integral part of your car and maintains its integrity and its strength. So I like that. I think that's very well stated. This technology, the 4680 battery cell, it's in its infancy. Like, the 2170 cell had a ton of problems. I don't know how much we go back and revisit those problems. But they had a ton of yield problems with the 2170 cells. I fully expect them to be able to solve this problem. And going along with that, our next clip, they're going to talk about 4680 cell progress. How is the 46, uh, 4680 ramp going? And is Giga Texas producing cells yet? Yeah, so we are making progress on 4680. But uh, right now, as Elon mentioned, we are leveraging supplier cells, which we have in sufficient quantity to ramp Texas and Berlin. Um, we expect to ramp total 4680 production to exceed 1K per week by the end of the year, hopefully before, um, well before. Um, in Q2 at Cato, we fully automated powder conveyance for the dry anode electrode um, tool there, unlocking major increases in production and improvements in yields. 
uh, since March, because of that, Cato output has grown uh, 35% uh, month over month each month since, um, and yields throughout the factory are um, already at targets in most areas and trending in that direction and, and a few others. Um, we did f- feed learnings from Fremont cell and pack lines to Texas and Berlin. They aren't a co- carbon copy. Cell design was revved to unlock higher performance and manufacturing simplicity. Manufacturing lines were further integrated and we insourced additional content. Uh, for these reasons, there are some new ramp challenges to overcome in Texas um, and Berlin. Specific to Texas last quarter, cell equipment was fully installed and commissioned, and we produced our first commissioning car sets of cells through the end of the line. Our target for Texas is to begin production this quarter and uh, aim for Texas to be uh, capable of exceeding Cato weekly output for the end of this year. If if it wasn't clear, Cato is the 4680 battery facility at Fremont, and it's on Cato Road, so that's why they call it Cato. It might be that's why they call it. I'm assuming because it's on Cato Road. That's why they call it Cato. Their goal is to exceed 1,000 cells per week by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many cells the Cybertruck or the Model Y need of the 4680 battery cells, but... Um, I'm guessing it's going to be more than a thousand. So I'm curious uh, how they're going to keep up there. I know that as time goes on, like I said earlier, they're going to be able to solve for this problem, but hopefully they're able to solve a little bit faster and get that up, you know, five, 6,000 per week. Sounds like they're still improving the cells in certain areas and making them more efficient. I like hearing that. Continuing on with the theme of the 4680 cells, they're going to talk about a little bit about the structural battery pack, but also about the architecture of the cell. And they're not going to go into huge detail on the architecture, but it's a it's a long answer. It's a good question and it's a good answer. So let's go ahead and jump into that. I'd like to ask like a a question on 4680 and uh, and the structural battery pack. Um, And I'd love to to understand where you stand on the technology and uh, efficiency and uh, energy density roadmap that you described at the battery day. So what I'm trying to understand is where do you stand on, on the architecture of the, of the battery cell itself? How much silicon do you have in it? How much uh, energy improvement have you achieved already so far? Um, and yeah. the reason why I'm asking, sorry. Uh, and the reason why I'm asking that is because you have like very smart guys on Twitter who shared experience about trying to fully empty uh, a Model Y from Texas, from Austin, and noticing behaviors and like recharging behaviors that su- suggested that maybe these cars had like very, very high uh, mileage, high, very high range, and were like uh, artificially um, limited in range in software. So I'm just kind, kind of trying to understand how much of an edge you're building at the moment with the 4680 and, and okay. the structural battery pack on, uh, on on range. Yeah, I, let me just let me try to provide like a, a super straightforward answer. Like as Elon mentioned before, you know our priority was really on simplicity and scale during the initial 4680 and structural battery ramp. So we we weren't like putting all the bells and whistles in from day one uh, because if so, we would be sort of suffering under um, a, ser- a, a string of series miracles that we would need to achieve to, to get going. Um, but, you know, as we attain the manufacturing goals that we've stated, you know, hit the ramp that we need to hit next year, we, we are certainly planning to layer in new material technologies 
uh, and higher range structural packs. Like we're not we're not like holding back goodies for for some you know rainy day or something like that. It, yeah, maybe uh, um, another way of putting it is that the uh, our focus right now is on the basically uh, dozens of, of little issues that inhibit the production ramp of the forty six eighty. Some of the more challenging ones have been, um, uh, you know, feeding the, uh, the anode and cathode material, uh, for, you know, because we were using this revolutionary uh, dry electrode process. Uh, but when something's revolutionary, there's a lot of uh, unknowns that have to be resolved. So uh, we're confident of resolving those unknowns, but it's it's very very difficult. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're making rapid progress on that front. So the, the first order of business is really uh, get the basics right, uh, get to um, high volume and high reliability, and uh, and then very rapidly iterate within that to enhance the energy density and reduce the cost of the uh, cell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Okay, we're, thanks. We're, 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 I'd say we're we're we are highly confident of of a good outcome. Uh, it's the, the exact counterpoint of that is perhaps uh, it is of some debate, but um, the outcome is not. Yeah, specific to the dry process, we made ma a major advance uh, this past quarter. Cato, that the team is really excited about, and you know, congrats to the team for achieving that. Um, but I, I should also emphasize that. Um, uh, it, it is not as though Tesla intends to displace our suppliers oh. of battery cells. Um, the Tesla battery uh, cell production is uh, in addition to what our suppliers can do. Um, and we want our suppliers to grow their uh, their battery output as fast as they possibly can. Uh, and that goes for the entire supply chain. Uh, the, the fundamental rate limiter for the for both transitioning to sustainable energy is how fast can you grow lithium ion battery output per year? This is the fundamental rate limiter for both transitioning to sustainability uh, because you need the batteries for two of the pillars of sustainability, the stationary storage and for vehicles. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, and I just want to stress that a lot of these, you know, higher energy density technologies are not necessarily scalable. I mean, most of them are not scalable from what I've seen. And so, like, focusing on them is a distraction from the mission. Like, it, it really is, how do we scale as fast as possible? And, you know, we're taking these risks that we've discussed uh, at Battery Day, and our plan is, a, a, as we de-risk them and they are successful, we want to bring them back to our partners so that they can go faster, too, because that's all on the mission, right? Like, yes. how do we accelerate uh, people often ask me. People often ask me if uh, is some breakthrough needed in in battery technology for the world to transition to uh, sustainability. Uh, the answer is no. Uh, even if there was zero uh, technology breakthroughs, literally zero, uh, from where the technology is right now, we could fully transition Earth to sustainable energy. Uh, the, the issue is very much the rate at which. The entire supply chain, from mining to refining to uh, to, to cell production, uh, how fast can that grow? It's growing fast, but the faster it grows, the faster we transition to a sustainable energy economy. All right. The way I remember it is they've mentioned this problem with specifically with the anode cathode issue in the past. I 
if I remember this right, there's like a roller and it, it rolls it out to be very thin, but when you do it at scale, they're not, you know, these things have to be pretty close to perfect and they're really not. So it sounds like they're still trying to solve that. Um, but I do like hearing that it's advancing. So that's great. They mentioned their third party suppliers. Panasonic just built a, or excuse me, is planning on building a multi-billion dollar battery factory in Kansas and part to feed Giga Texas. And I'm sure it's, they're probably going to build batteries for other people as well. But, you know, Tesla is a good customer and they will continue being a good customer because, you know, vehicle demand. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in our next clip, which is vehicle demand. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I have a question on your vehicle demand and then a quick follow up on supply. Uh, first, on the demand side, are you seeing any sort of uh, pressure um, in the order book or the pace of new order or any sort of like slowdown as a result of the pressures that the consumer uh, is experiencing? Are you worried about it um, in light of your view of the risk to the economy uh, that I think you expressed, Elon? Well, right now, our problem is very much production. So we have long leads on, as, as anyone can tell, if they order our car, um, it, you know, uh, if you order a Model Y, it will arrive sometime next year. Um, so this is clearly not an issue uh, for, for many months for us. Our problem is overwhelmingly uh, that of production. Um, so... Okay. Maybe just two things to add. You know, specifically on your question, are we seeing a macroeconomic impact on our demand? Uh, not that I can tell. Um, maybe a little, but some maybe, but it's, but it's not yeah. material. Um, the second thing, you know, to Elon's point about backlogs, um, you know, we have a, a very long runway with very long, long lead times here. I mean, certainly. The world is uncertain, and we'll have to see where things go with commodity prices, how quickly we're ramping production, what the state of the world looks like at some point next year. But um, the demand is is not something we spend really any time talking about. Yeah, and I think it's maybe just uh, once again worth uh, mentioning the that there is difference between uh, value for money and fundamental affordability. Because sometimes people say, well, if you got all this demand, why don't just raise the price to some you know, double the price or something, and um, but this is th- th- this uh, is usually expressed by uh, somebody who's rich. Um, so, if but the, but there's even if you rail value for money to infinity, if somebody does not, if consumers do not have enough money to to buy it, uh, even a product where the desirability is railed to infinity, they they simply cannot buy it. So this is why you cannot just raise prices to some arbitrarily high level. Um, because you, you pass the affordability boundary and then demand falls off a cliff. So I, I do feel like we've raised our prices or we've raised our prices quite a few times. They're frankly at embarrassing levels. Um, but uh, we've also had a lot of uh, supply chain and production shocks and there's, we've got crazy inflation. So, um, uh, I, I, I'm hopeful this is not a promise or anything, but I'm hopeful that, that at some point we can reduce the prices a little bit. I, I'd like to see them reduce the prices a lot. Uh, and I'm sure many of you out there would also like to see them reduce the prices a lot. Um, you know, 
for the last six years, I'm really hammering how long I've been doing this podcast for some reason, this episode, but for the last six years, this is something we've been hearing about over and over and over again. Tesla does not have a demand problem. Tesla has a production problem, whether that was with the Model X when it had its issues or the Model S or the Model 3, Model Y kind of went through a little bit of a smoother transition, but there were still issues. You know, Tesla just has a production issue and they are building out facilities to in Giga, Texas and Berlin. And they're going to, I think, be building in China. Another plant is the rumor and maybe another one here in the U.S. when this is all finished. You know, this is this is an issue that they have. And some of their production issues are, you know, due to Elon's hubris. My hope is they're able to get this whole prediction thing, you know, fixed so that everybody who wants a car can get a car in a timely manner. And I'm sure most of you, especially those who are waiting for a car, would like that same thing. I would like to hear more in depth, and this is a a big ask, but I'd like to hear more in depth as to what the thought process or what the, the process just in general was about, you know, increasing the prices like this is stuff that really interests me. And I don't think Tesla is ever going to fully release this, but you know, just to kind of have sit down, somebody sit with, down with Elon and Zach Kirkhorn and just be like, Hey, let's talk about this. You know, in 2020, at the beginning of 2020, this is what things look like. And talk me through the, the last two years. And let's talk about some of those challenges and some of those things we're going to, we already know them, but some of those, some of the stuff is going to be new information. And I'm really curious as to, you know, internally what's happened at Tesla. We're probably never going to hear that, but all right, this is our, that was our last clip. We don't have any more clips. So it's been a, a good long show, two hours and 26 minutes at this point. So we'll go ahead and play some music and then I'll come back and wrap up the show. All right, everybody, that is our show this week. I want to thank you all for joining me and, you know, basically putting up for me for however long it took to, to do this episode. I don't know exactly how long that is because I'm recording the ending of this podcast the same day I'm recording the beginning, which is on the 19th. So I don't even know what Tesla announced um, or what they talked about on their earnings call. If you want to email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital. You can find me on Twitter at 918digital. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next Friday. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. 
Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more.